0: Spring is here Spring is here, thank God Almighty Spring is here My name is Evan, I'm the pastor here at Rimrock Downtown Rimrock Downtown, or RD, is all about relationships Relationships with God And relationships with other people That is our primary focus. You're going to hear it over and over and over from up here and in the bulletin. The reason why we come on Saturday nights is in order to praise God and to get to know him more. In the bulletin, you'll see other opportunities you have, like the retreat, which is the end of next month. The reason why we're having that retreat is so that way you can get to know God more. Tonight, we have community dinner. In two, three weeks, we'll have date night. Those are all here, so that way we can get to know one another. We can build relationships with each other. This coming Monday, we'll be down at the Cornerstone. We have an opportunity with Love, Inc. once a month. Those are tangible opportunities to build relationships with people outside of the church and maybe give them the hope that Jesus brings. You know, it's so clear to me in the Bible that relationships are the foundation of life. And I believe that the church is put into place in order to help us best live our lives. And so you'll see so many opportunities about developing your relationship with God and with others coming through Rimrock Downtown. I encourage you to take advantage of that. The church is here for far more than an hour once a week. If that's all we're here for, then we may as well consider ourselves so many other denominations where you just simply show up to be served, check it off the list, and then go home feeling like you've done your good. We are a body of Christ that has purpose in the here and now. And the reason why the church gives us these opportunities is to put us into play. Before we kind of get rolling into the Sermon on the Mount, I want to take a moment to thank Michael. He's behind the soundboard. He's been back there for years running the media. It's amazing. Without him, we would not have the flashy, right, which I know you guys love. So thank you, Michael, for always being back there. It's awesome. There's so many opportunities like that to, to be involved with this church. Just let me know if you ever want to Go deeper in your commitment to what we have here downtown. Okay, I need to pray. Please join me. God, I got nothing to offer right now. You know what's going on in my brain. I have nothing to bring to the table. But you are real, and you are present within me and within so many people within this room. And so I ask you to tangibly work, to bring the words through me into the people's Brains that need to hear them. Open up our eyes, figuratively, our hearts, so that way we can get a little bit more of what we need from you. Thanks for being real. Amen. Amen. So we live in a world of cause and effect. We can see it in every aspect of our life. So my wife and I were down uh, in Denver this last week, and we went to Ikea. Anybody been to Ikea? So the cause and effect on men is like utter despair when you walk in there. Just (laughs) boredom, like hopelessness, like what the heck. But for women, it's just like intense excitement and this thrill, and I cannot believe, right? Cause and effect. As we were walking through the parking lot, my son and daughter collided. My son's hands were somewhere other than in front of his face, and he face-planted. Cause and effect. Please pull that picture up. Brutal took him a few days, but then he was finally open to putting ice upon his lip. The cause and effect of ice caused the swelling to go down. You can take that picture now. That's brutal. You'll see him today. Yeah. It's much better. give you another example. Ross and Kayla, I wish they were here tonight, but they're not. So nine months ago, they decided to have some horizontal refreshment. <laughs> Apparently, that was a popular term back in the 1920s. I thought it was funny. Right, they got pregnant, and either, either she has delivered a baby or she's in the process of delivering a baby right now. Right, right now. I know. And when the baby comes out, right, the effect will be utter life-changing. Right, to have a baby. One thing always leads to another. Things very rarely, if ever, happen on their own. Cause and effect is a big is a part of the big pieces of our lives as well. Our relationships, our health, our emotions, our finances, our careers. At the root of it, these larger things, the major components of our life are directly connected to our belief systems and our priorities. From our belief systems and the way in which we prioritize things come our choices. The choices that we make have a direct effect on the tangible aspects of our lives. Things like relationships, health, emotion, finances, careers. Let me give you a couple examples. If you believe being healthy is an important part of living life well, then you will make working out one of your priorities. Out of this belief and choice of priority, you will give your time and money to the pursuit of health. From these choices, you will get healthier. Let's say that you think money is an important part of your life then you will elevate the pursuit of money and wealth to one of your priorities. From here, you will make decisions based on what will give you more money. These decisions, most likely, not guaranteed, will allow you to have what you want, money. This domino effect applies to every part of our life. Even when the uncontrollable circumstances tear into our reality, in the midst of the hardship, choice still remains within our hands. The choice of how to approach whatever we are surrounded by. We have been created with free will. A foundational part of God's design for our reality is that humanity is given control over their choices. We are not puppets. We are not robots. We have power to greatly influence our lives. Over the last eight weeks, we've looked at nine verses of the Sermon on the Mount, and we see this idea of cause and effect played out in these verses. In the opening verses, Jesus lists nine cause and effects to his disciples. The poor in spirit will have the kingdom of God. Those who mourn will be comforted. The meek will inherit the earth. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. Last week, we looked at those who are merciful will be shown mercy. Jesus' disciples, the people who have come to Jesus to listen to what he has said with the intention of applying it to their lives, when they fall into the categories that Jesus describes, they will experience tremendous benefit. Because of these benefits, they will be seen as blessed, which can also mean satisfied, even envied. You guys seen this domino effect? Come to Jesus. Regardless of who you are or what you are going to through, and then you will experience goodness beyond reason. Come to Jesus, approach life with humility and a hunger for God's standards, and you will have everything that you need in this life. And both of these play into people looking at you and recognizing that you have what everyone else wants. People that saw the value of seeking Jesus of learning from him and then applying his teachings, elevated him as one of their priorities. From this belief and choice of priority, they made the choice to follow him. Because of this choice, they are given insight into how to have the abundant life. So often the cause and effect of our lives stems out of our belief and our choice of priority. Matthew 5.8, which was just up there that we're looking at tonight, falls into the same formula. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Take a moment and read it for yourself. What I like to do anytime that I am teaching through the Beatitudes is take some time to define what we're meaning. Words are extremely powerful, but in order to understand the power that they carry, you must know what they mean. And so I take a little bit of time in looking at the Greek or the Aramaic to see what they would think. So pure, that's translated as ritually clear of responsibility, otherwise known as innocent. In other words, it means that one is free of the guilt of breaking God's laws. This was a very common principle back in Jesus' day. It is directly connected to the law and the sacrificial system. The reason one made sacrifices was so that way they would become pure or innocent of the wrongs that they had committed. The notion of seeking purity, it was the foundation on which the Pharisees' movement was built. You guys know about the Pharisees. They were calling everyone back to a strict adherence to the law, the one that God gave to the people through Moses from Mount Sinai. Since the exodus from Egypt, the Israelites were striving to be pure before God. By the time of the Pharisees, a major reason that they were doing this was to avoid God's just punishment. Like when he sent them into exile in Babylon. So after they were released, a little bit of history, after they were released from captivity uh, in Babylon, the Pharisees started like maybe 50 years after the temple had been built. And their whole goal was to keep people strictly adhering to the law so that way they didn't have to go through that again. It was almost like their goal was to keep the people, almost like a child, living in the shadow of a violent father who was waiting for his kid to slip up so that way he could punish them. The Pharisees and the other religious leaders focus seemed to be on the external, one's actions, tithing, fasting, the Sabbath. If somebody was able to do this, to remain externally pure, they assumed that they would avoid God's punishment. And then they would be elevated in the eyes of the others. But Jesus takes an entirely different spin on purity. First, he focuses in on a person's heart. Now, heart throughout the entire Bible, Old Testament and New, is defined as the inner self. So it's this idea of the willpower, the volition, the mind, the emotions. It's like what guides us. It's our motivation. Essentially, the heart is the core of a person. It's what makes you unique and sets you apart from everyone else. It's what drives you to do what you do. To be pure in heart means that the deepest part of you is without blemish. Take a moment to consider how that would be possible. You are uncontaminated by selfishness, anger. I hung out with my two kids today. I got real angry a few times. You have no bitterness, no judgment towards others. You don't at all think about greed. It means that you are motivated by love, by a desire to be patient, kind, generous, faithful, and gentle. Fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5. Being pure in heart means that you are driven by the desire to love God and others with every ounce of who you are. What a drastic difference between the first century Israelites' view on being pure. Jesus raises the standard from the external to the internal. He shifts the focus off of living in a way that makes you appear like you are pure to one's innermost being, being pure, which in the minds of his audience is impossible. How could one purify their mind and their desires? But his countercultural approach continues when he looks at the ramifications of a pure heart. One will see God. In the eyes of the Israelites, this is a paradox. It's what everyone wanted, but yet no one believed they could do. David gives us a good idea of the Israelites or people's heart. Psalms 42.2. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? You see this often in the Psalms, wanting to come face to face with God himself. Now, God is the one who created everything. He is the one that knit you together. He is the one that causes the sun to shine and the rain to fall. He is a source of everything good that we have and everything good that we get to experience. Why wouldn't you want to see God? For the Israelites, whose ancestors were tangibly redeemed by God from slavery and then miraculously given an incredible land, they understood the power and the compassion of God. But out of that same understanding, they knew that no one could see God and live. Let's transport into the Exodus. They've just left, gone through the Red Sea. They're standing before Mount Sinai, and God has plans. This is Exodus 19, a little bit in 20. The Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and prepare for the third day, because on the third day the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. On the morning of the third day there was thunder and lightning, as well as a thick cloud on the mountain and a blast of a trumpet so loud that all the people who were in the camp trembled. Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. They took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended upon it in fire. The smoke went up like the smoke of a kiln, like the whole mu- while the whole mountain shook violently. So if you ever want to see what this looks like, look at what a volcano, volcanic eruption looks like. It's so similar to Moses' description. As the blast of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses would speak and God would answer him in thunder. When the Lord descended upon the mountain, to the top of the mountain, the Lord summoned Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. So then we skip to chapter 20. He gets all the Ten Commandments. He comes back down and he gets the people's reaction to what they just experienced. When all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet, and the mo- mountain smoke, spoke smoking, they were afraid and trembled and stood at a distance and said to Moses, You speak to us, we will listen. But do not let God speak to us, or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, for God has come only to test you and to put the fear of him upon you so that you do not sin. Then the people stood at a distance. While Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. These are the stories that the Jewish people of Jesus' day had been taught since they were young. The cause and effect that Jesus is presenting was for the Israelite was what the Israelites wanted to have that pure heart so they could see God, but it would have made little to no sense for them how it could have happened. Now, whenever you want to know how a cause and effect takes place, you simply have to follow it back to its beginning. Where do all the beatitudes or blessings begin? By coming to Jesus. The people listening to Jesus' Sermon on the Mountain had no idea that God was about to bring a life-altering, mind-blowing change in the interaction between God and mankind. When Jesus willfully surrendered his life for humanity and died the death of a criminal, every person has the ability to become pure in heart. Let's look at more Bible, Hebrews 10. And if you haven't read Hebrews and you have a desire to go deeper into theology and who Jesus is, please do it. So 10, 14 through 18, this is talking about Jesus. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. The Holy Spirit also testified to us for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, said the, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. He also adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Because of Jesus' power and his perfection, his sacrifice, his own life, was sufficient to bring total forgiveness to every sin, regardless of how small or atrocious. When someone comes to Jesus, they no longer need to make any offerings for their sins. You see that last sentence? Now remember the definition of pure. Ritually clear of responsibility means you no longer need to go through the ritual of making sacrifices. This means that we are no longer separated from God by our sin. Now, rebellion against God is why God had to remove Adam and Eve from his presence. With sin being fully dealt with, a person can have complete confidence that they will see God face to face the moment their bodies die. Because they came to Jesus, they will spend forever with their creator. Take a moment to think about that. I know that's such a common Christianese phrase. But think about how quick this life is, but how long forever will be in the presence of the one who made everything. What an incredibly beautiful truth. But the beauty of the change that Jesus brings goes even deeper. The idea of eternal perspective should have application, but what I'm about to say has direct application to our days here and now. The author of Hebrews mentions that God will put a new law in their hearts and that he will write them on their minds. Remember, Jesus said that we we will be pure in heart, the innermost being. Deuteronomy 36, and Ezekiel th- Deuteronomy 36 and Ezekiel 36 kind of give us an idea. Moreover, the Lord will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul in order that you may live eternally. Ezekiel, I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all of your uncleanliness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. A new heart I will give you and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Catch this part. I will put my spirit within you and I will make you follow my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances. When we have been fully perfected by Jesus' sacrifice, God then puts his spirit also known as the Holy Spirit, a part of the Trinity, God himself within us, within our mind, our willpower, our desires. We are given a pure heart. Now this would have blown Jesus' disciples' minds to hear this. Think about it from their perspective. The God who made the universe. The God who conquered Pharaoh and split the Red Sea the God who descended on Mount Sinai now resides within the deepest parts of who they are, should do the same thing for us. The God that caused the sun to rise, that knit you together, that gave you the mind that thinks as deeply as it does, the one who created a universe that is far beyond anything we can ever explore, he is inside of you the moment you come To Jesus. Please allow that to resonate deeper within you. It is from this position that God is able to show Himself to a person. Here's where the fulfillment of Jesus' promise comes in. They are able to see God change their desires and their motives, they are able to see God influence their thinking. They are able to see God transform their lives now I've told you stories, my own stories about how God transformed my ways of thinking and actions freed me from destructive addictions but I want to tell you a simpler story that happened yesterday, so our neighbor happens to have two kids, her husband is gone for a couple weeks and little kids and I just knew that she was in the need of some help and I got out of a meeting yesterday at like 9 a.m., was walking home, and I just felt like compelled by the Spirit to help her out. But I had to study. I had to spend my time doing what I wanted to do. And I kept ignoring it and kept ignoring it. But at like 3 o'clock, I finally said, all right, God, I will text her. Brought her kids over for like two hours. And when she came back right, to grab her kids, she was just lit up because she got to spend an hour and a half doing laundry by herself. <laughs> right, simple things. But through being willing to follow God's prompting, my selfish approach to using my time was momentarily replaced with my desire to help someone else. By doing this and seeing the value of it, I am now encouraged to similar acts in the days to come. From what I've experienced, the more selfless a person is, the better their life becomes. With God at the center of your being, your heart, it has the ability to drastically affect your actions. I love the way Jesus put it in Luke 6. The good person out of the good treasure of the heart produces good, cause and effect. And the evil person out of evil treasure produces evil. For it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks or that actions take place. Through Jesus, God is able to do what he has always wanted to do directly interact with the people he created and loves by making their lives more closely resemble his original design a life full of goodness. But but even with God at our core, we still have free will. Remember, we are not puppets or robots. We have spent decades within cultures that encourage selfish living. Our minds have been programmed to operate through the filters of what seems best and what feels best for me. So when the Spirit prompts us to be loving, kind, patient, practice self-control, a battle always occurs within our hearts. Do we listen to and obey the Spirit, or do we listen to and obey our own built in desires? The choice that we make has direct connections to our words and actions, which are what form our lives. In these moments of decision, it's like there are two different rows of dominoes facing opposite directions. The choice that we make starts a cause and effect following the almighty maker of everything's wisdom and direction will always lead towards life. It's what I've seen from my own life. It's what I read in the Bible. It's what I see from the world that surrounds me. Choosing to follow your own limited and skewed perspectives will lead to frustration, disappointment, and eventually loss. So how do we win this battle? This is a sermon in of itself. Don't worry, we're wrapping it up. How do we choose God over self? Like I mentioned at the beginning, I believe that our choices almost always originate from our beliefs and our priorities. If you want to choose to follow God's leading, then you must believe what the Bible says, that God is real. That he is sovereign or all powerful, and that he desires to bring you the best life possible. When you believe this, when you know this in the deepest parts of who you are, it will have a direct and tangible impact on your heart, which will guide your life. Now, in order to know these truths and to keep them at the forefront of our minds, God must be one of our priorities. Honestly, he should be our priority, singular. But I know the way I work, I'm sure you're the same way. It's hard to keep God at the top. So if nothing else, he's got to be one of our priorities. By dedicating your mind and your mental energy to prayer, talking to him, and studying his word, the Bible, you will learn more of who he is and his desires for you. By setting apart minutes or hours of your day, to seek God and his desires of the precious time that you've been given, then you will be far more likely to sense or to hear him and see him work in your life and through you the lives of others. You know, as we wrap it up, I want to pray together. And I want David in Psalms 25 to kind of be our prayer. God, make us to know your ways. Teach us your paths. Lead us in your truth and teach us. For you are our God of salvation. For you, we wait all day long. God, you are real and we want what you bring. Spirit, work within us to make our belief systems accurate, to make our view of you and your power and your goodness resonate through the deepest parts of who we are, through our hearts. God, give us the power to make you our priority.